Hi, Donna Cleveland here, Editor-in-Chief at iPhone Life. Since we recorded our episode this morning, Apple has now announced the date for its next event, which is going to be Monday, October 18th. So it's earlier than we originally had thought in this episode. And uh, tune into this episode for all the rumors about what we're expecting, including the M1X MacBook Pro in a 14 and 16 inch size. At least we're really crossing our fingers for that. So without further ado, here is the episode we recorded this morning. Hi, and welcome to the iPhone Life podcast. I'm Donna Cleveland, Editor-in-Chief at iPhone Life. And I'm Colin Thomas, writer and producer here at iPhone Life, filling in for David, who is on his honeymoon. In Rome, and I'm very jealous. Jealous. Have you been to Rome? I have, and I loved it there. When I was there, there were lots and lots and lots of cats. Yeah, it's actually my favorite place I've ever been, so... um, We highly recommend be like David and and go to Rome. (laughs) But uh, I'm excited to have Colin joining me today. Thank you so much for joining, Colin. My pleasure. We're going to talk. We have a lot of exciting iPhone rumors to talk about. Also, uh, Colin is a bit of a security expert on our team. So he's going to tell you about some of the latest patches and what you should do to make sure that you're keeping your data safe and secure on your iPhone. First, I want to tell you about our sponsor for this episode. David's usually the one who talks about our sponsor, so bear with me. I will do our be- my best. Our sponsor for this episode is iMazing. iMazing has a software that basically lets you manage your backups locally on your computer. So if you're someone who would prefer to avoid using iCloud for your backups and want to manage it all locally, iMazing is a really great option. Um, it starts at $33.49, but we have an exclusive deal just for our podcast listeners. If you go to imazing.com forward slash iPhone life, you can get 30% off and manage all of your backups locally for your iPhone and iPad on your Mac. Did I miss anything there, Colin? I know you were... Sounds good. Sounds great for a bunch of the programmer friends and engineers that I know who prefer to keep all of their stuff on their local device rather than trusting it to cloud services for backups. So if you if you like to keep your files, you know, under your own control instead of sending them off to other to other services, then iMazing might be the solution for you. Next up, I want to tell you about our tip of the day newsletter. If you go to iphonelife.com/dailytip, You can get a tip sent to your inbox every day that just takes one minute to teach you something cool you can do with your iPhone. And um, it's completely free. So it's a great way to start learning with a very low commitment. And um, it's awesome. We've been doing the daily tip for, I mean, I wanna say almost eight years. And it's been, it's one of our most popular products. So again, iphonelife.com slash daily tip is where you can go to sign up completely free. I have a tip I wanted to share this week. Uh, Colin, I know you and I have both been teaching in our iOS 15 class about this feature, and it's one that we really like. And that's how to turn on voice isolation in FaceTime. This is a new iOS 15 feature, so you have to make sure that you've updated your iPhone before you can expect to see this option pop up. So that's the first thing. But then once you've done that, when you start a FaceTime call, you have a new sneaky little setting available in your control center that lets you affect, uh, uh, lets you choose your voice effect. So this is one of those ones I wanted to tell you about because it's not 
obvious. It's kind of hidden and it's really cool. (laughs) It's sneaky and hidden. Yeah. So, um, in FaceTime, there's a new visual effect and that's that you can control right in the FaceTime app. There'll be a little icon that you can tap on and off portrait mode for yourself, which is really nice. So you can blur out any unsightly backgrounds when you're on a call, Uh, but the voice portrait mode as in the, the special effect of your camera to be able to blur out or change your background, not like portrait orientation, which I was confused. I was like portrait orientation and FaceTime calls. That doesn't sound like a game changer, (laughs) but no, it's portrait mode as in the mode of the camera to blur out backgrounds. And that actually is pretty cool for your FaceTime calls. Yeah, I agree. Um, And so the tip today though, is about the audio effects and um, you actually don't see those controls in the FaceTime app, which is an interesting choice Apple made, I think. But if you go to your control center, which if you have an iPhone without a home button, you swipe down from the upper right corner. Otherwise, if you do have a home button, you swipe up from the bottom of your display both of those get you to the same place, which is your control center. And there you'll see little tiles, like there'll be one for your video effects, which you can also turn on portrait mode there and you'll see your audio effects. And if you tap and hold on that, a new menu will pop up in one of the, there's two audio effects in there, but voice isolation is the one I'm talking about. And it lets you dim down noises besides your own voice. So if you're in a noisy cafe or, you know, your kids screaming in the background, you can turn on this feature and it'll be a better um, experience for the other people on the call. We've had people asking us, can you do this to other people's voices? Like, let's say you're on a call with someone and you hear their screaming baby and you wish you could do this so you could only hear their voice. Sadly, we don't have those controls yet. I also wish that this was a possibility. And, and, and to clarify, these controls will only appear in your control center when you're in a video call with FaceTime. Yes, great and, point. Um, Donna, I think I know why they put it in the control center as opposed to putting it in the FaceTime interface. And my guess is that it's because you can access these controls even when you're in a video call that's not a FaceTime call. So if you're in a Zoom conference call, or a Skype conference call, you can check in your control center to see if voice isolation is available there. Cool. Can you also do it for the portrait mode in like Zoom Uh, or something? I haven't checked, but I'm pretty sure yes. I mean, that's why they put it in the control center uh, rather than in the FaceTime interface. And um, I I just wanna, my two cents here for the voice isolation feature, it's pretty good. I've had mixed experience. So it uses machine learning to detect things that aren't the main speaker's voice and then mute them, which is pretty impressive for um, machine learning. And my experience with these in the past has always been that they're a little bit iffy. You get some like sort of robot sounding voices sometimes and it's not super reliable, but Apple seems to have done a pretty good job. So in your control center, just to clarify what the button names are, mic mode is what you'll tap. And there you'll have the option voice isolation or wide spectrum, which tell us about wide spectrum. Colin, have you used that? And do you like it? 
Um, I've experimented with it a little bit. And the idea behind wide spectrum is it will capture the entire audio signal with no compression. So the, the intent of it is for a more accurate sound reproduction for things like a violin rehearsal or practice session, or if you were doing singing lessons over FaceTime and you wanted to get a, as high a quality sound as possible. So it, they're really opposites. With voice isolation, you're scrubbing out a bunch of detail in order to focus in just on spoken word. With wide spectrum, you're capturing all the detail, including its imperfections, in an effort to try to reproduce the most accurate sound possible. So, in, I mean, in this age of doing your violin lessons over FaceTime, um, that's not, I mean, that's actually a pretty cool little feature. Zoom doesn't offer anything like that. With Zoom, it's audio recording is always going to be compressed. So this is definitely um, an option that I could see myself using. Also, I feel like Zoom, like you said, does a lot of things automatically. Right. And in some ways that's nice. In other ways, sometimes it makes choices you wouldn't want it to and it ends up with a weird digitized effect that you wouldn't you want. Can, so You can like turn up and down the amount of voice isolation in Zoom, but... I do like having this wide spectrum option available in FaceTime calls, which tend to be pretty high quality. So uh, try out voice isolation. Let us know what you think. That can be one of our questions of the week. If you email podcast at iphonelife.com, you have a chance of having us read out your answers on our next episode of the podcast. So question of the week, have you tried voice isolation in FaceTime and or wide spectrum? What did you use it for? What did you think? Email podcast at iphonelife.com. Next, I want to tell you about our premium subscription called iPhone Life Insider. And this is our educational service for Apple enthusiasts that really helps you master all of your Apple devices. We cover the iPhone, Apple Watch, iPad, and now Mac. So if you have any of those devices and you really get that sneaking feeling that there's more you could be learning and more you could be getting out of your devices, Insider is an amazing service that uh, will help you take your skills to the next level. We have in-depth video guides. We have virtual courses. Colin is our main instructor on our live online courses and does an excellent job teaching new features from start to end. We have a feature called ask an expert where you can send in your questions, any sort of, you know, tricky tech problem you're having. And one of our experts will make sure you find a solution. And you also get a digital subscription to iPhone life magazine and full access to our archive, uh, a premium version of this podcast without ads like I'm doing right now. And you also get premium exclusive content. Um, and, uh, much more. So go to iphonelife.com slash insider and make sure you do this before this Saturday, the 16th, because we are running a special right now where you get 50% off your subscription. And if you're a senior service personnel or veteran, you get an extra 10% off for 60% off total. And this is, uh, one of the best deals we offer all year for in celebration of the new iOS release. So again, iphonelife.com slash insider, you can get the um, special discount there. And one of our insiders wrote in to us recently, and I wanted to tell you uh, there the Q&A that we have from our Ask channel, because I thought it might apply to some of you. 
So here's a question we got. Before I updated to iOS 15, my watch unlocked my computer. Now it doesn't, and it won't unlock my phone either when I'm masked. How do I set it to do so? So this was a feature. We talked about this quite a bit last year with COVID, especially it was really useful that Apple released a new feature with iOS 14.5 that lets you unlock your iPhone just by wearing your Apple watch. Uh, and, And before that, there's already been a feature for a while that unlocks your MacBook with your Apple watch as well. So I guess this was a glitch with the first iOS 15 release. And one of the Apple leakers, John Prosser, reported on this. Even and John it's Prosser. Been, yeah, even John Prosser couldn't. Statuism didn't save him from the bug. <laughs> yeah. So apparently Apple uh, fixed this issue with iOS 15.0.01. And oh, I should clarify, this is an oh, issue that only people with the iPhone 13 running iOS 15 were having. So um, if you have an older device and you updated to iOS 15, it doesn't sound like this has been an issue. Uh, But if you you have been experiencing this issue, this is a good example of why you want to keep updating your software. Keep updating. (laughs) Did you get the bug, Donna? No, I haven't had any issue like that at all. I just got my iPhone 13 last week and um, I've been lucky that way. So I'm happy to say I've still been able to unlock my MacBook and my iPhone with my watch, no problem. I've been having trouble getting my MacBook to unlock with my watch, but um, but not my iPhone. I'm still still on the 12, back ordered for the 13. Um, but yes, if you just uh, if you have been having this bug where your iPhone wouldn't unlock, just update to the latest OS version. We'll tell you more about why you should do that in a minute, and uh, and it should solve this bug. Cool. Yeah. Colin, do you want to read out our, we have two emails from listeners from last episode to read out. Um, Do you want to read one of them, Colin? Hi, Donna and Dave. When you were on beta, you had a way to report bugs. How do regular users such as myself report bugs after the release of an update? For example, I have my phone set to go into what was silent or sleep mode. The names are now are new now, and I'm not sure, at 9 p.m. until 9 a.m. Since the update, it turns on, but never turns off in the morning at 9 a.m. How do I submit this bug to Apple? Many thanks for your great podcast, Marianne. Well, Marianne, um, Apple is not, uh, there, there is a feedback form, uh, apple.com slash feedback slash iPhone, where you can go to put your your comments or suggestions about the latest OS or whatever you want to talk about with your iPhone. Um, I can say that developers who are working on the software side are going to be receiving bug reports at an outrageous volume. They're probably getting 15 or 20 internal bug reports a day, plus external bug reports. So if you want your bug to actually get fixed, Um, it's a good idea to do a good write-up, to use your writing skills, to write up your your bug in a memorable way and a thorough way. And Apple actually has published a little guide for how to do a bug write-up. We'll put the link to that in our show notes. And Marianne, I'm sorry to hear that your Do Not Disturb is acting up like that. Um, That's good to know that that is an issue. Have you had any issues like that, Colin? Um, with the, um, when I first updated to the iOS 
to the latest iOS, I had a bunch of modes that were just like turning on that I didn't know I had set up. Um, mm. So there's so much more control now with the different focus modes that you have, you really have to go through every one of them and check its settings because every one of them has a different set of settings for what turns it on and what turns it off. There's yeah, not like one setting anymore. It so, might be worth Marianne going into settings, do not disturb and seeing like you might have different schedules set up that are conflicting with each other. Like if you still have time-based to do not disturb set up, like you said, from 9 PM to 9 AM, but you also have do not disturb set up for something else starting at 9 AM, then maybe that's the reason it's not turning off is because some, you know, you're triggering, triggering your work mode, do not disturb or something at that time. I don't know. I, without seeing your phone, but there could be something funky like that going on. And sleep mode is a special kind of do not disturb that is hooked up through the health app, um, through your sleep period and the sleep, yeah, sleep version, schedule, right? Your sleep schedule and the sleep version of the focus mode may have different settings than the do not disturb motion uh, version of the focus mode. So you'll want to flip through all your different focus modes and check their start stop times and, and conditions. Who knows? Now that we have you thoroughly confused, why don't we move <laughs> on to our next comment from listeners? I know I have to say, I like the new focus modes, but really it's like uh, uh, the focus mode is like um, under the umbrella of general do not disturb, but it does get a bit confusing now within focus modes. There's, they've put the sleep mode in there and they're one for work, ones for work and ones for different activities. And they're controlled through different apps. Like you said, the health app is how you control your sleep mode. So it, it does feel a bit convoluted, even though once you sort of get to know the general concept of it and play around with it a bit, it, it is useful. Too many buttons. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Again, in the iOS 15 course, which we're still teaching right now for insiders, uh, we've had a lot of questions. We dedicated quite a bit of time just to helping everyone go through their focus modes and set it up the way that they wanted. Yes, definitely worth doing. If you don't get on top of your focus modes, they will get on top of you. Yeah. <laughs> All right, we've got another comment from Lynn. You want to read that one out? Sure. This comment is from Lynn. She says, hi, I really enjoyed your podcast and I'm going to buy the Pro Max because of the information you detailed. I'm going to buy more storage because I am currently at 208 out of my 256 gigabytes. Thanks again for all your insights, Lynn. You're very welcome, Lynn. Thanks so much for writing in, Lynn. Yeah, in our last episode, for those of you who didn't tune in, David... Uh, unveiled his new iPhone 13 Pro Max. And he's someone who has basically, you know, had drawn a line in the sand before and said he would never get a Mac sized iPhone. It's just too big. And uh, he changed his mind and talked a lot about why he did change his mind. So you can check out episode 168 for more on that. But spoiler, it has an amazing display. He still is able to fit it in his pocket. And so, and it has a way better battery life. So there's a lot to be said for it. I'm still not ready to, to take that plunge. I feel like uh, it, it wouldn't be as easy to reach everything I want to on the, on the display, but uh, his yeah. display does look amazing. Also, the Pro Max has the new ProMotion display with really extra um, smooth graphics because of that higher refresh rate. So it's pretty cool. 
Yeah, the refresh rate getting uh, matching the human eye definitely improves the experience. I'm looking for, I'm so jelly. I'm looking forward to my, to my 13 Pro Max, which should be here next month. One thing that David and I talked about last time, Colin, is that both of us this time felt comfortable choosing the base level of storage in the new iPhone 13 line, which is 128 gigabytes. Yeah, isn't that funny? I, what? I said, yeah, isn't that funny? Just a few years ago, it felt like you couldn't get enough storage on your phone. But now I don't have that problem. Do you I, think 128 is sufficient for you? It's interesting. Lynn here efficient. needed... Lynn here is probably going for the 500 gigabyte option and you can go up to a terabyte now with the 13 Pro line. Finally rolled out a terabyte sized phone and I don't need it anymore. And and the reason that I don't need it anymore is they've combined two things that, that are basically the same. They're now offloading apps you're not using and then you just re-download it when you need it and offloading your photos and videos and you re-download them when you want to view them. And both of, both of these rely on having a solid internet connection um, and a reliable internet connection. But as long as you have a reliable internet connection, this means that your device just doesn't have very much on it. It's got thumbnails of all your photos. The, the two things that take up all your space are your apps and your photos and videos, your contacts, your notes, the like any any reminders that stuff is vanishingly small compared to photos and videos and the occasion and and some apps some apps are small but some are huge and those those so those two services downloading offloading apps you're not using and offloading the photos and videos that you're not using mean 128 will cover you i mean i'm i take a lot of photos and a lot of videos and 128 gigs is sufficient for me but i have to pay Apple, whatever it is, 10 bucks a month for the iCloud storage. So it's not free. <laughs> Great offs. Yep. Yes. But um, again, that that's just a feature in your photos app settings where you can optimize. You basically just keep little thumbnails of all of your photos and videos on your phone. And then whenever you want to look at them, they re-download for you as you go to them. And as long as you have good Wi-Fi or cellular service, it works great. It can be, if you're in a remote area, it's annoying because you try to look at a video and it's all fuzzy and weird because yeah. you can't, you know. So there it's are downsides to it, but overall it's pretty awesome. It's called Optimize iPhone Storage and it's in Settings Photos. You go to the mm -hmm. Settings app, the Photos submenu of the Settings app and look for Optimize iPhone Storage. And it'll only show up if you have iCloud Photos enabled, which Colin and I also just taught a Photos app course recently. And we pretty much just recommend that you do use iCloud photo storage. Yeah. Like you can use Google Photos or you can use your Amazon Prime account. You get free, nah, you get a certain amount of free photo backup, but really iCloud Photos is pretty awesome. Yep, simplify your life, turn on iCloud, iCloud Photos. All right, so moving on to our news section, we have some juicy rumors to talk about. Apple um, has not released the new MacBook Pro yet with the M1X chip that we've been hearing about for months or the third generation of AirPods. Yeah, Colin, let's have you talk about this. I know you have strong feelings. Oh, I have such strong feelings. I feel like Mac's uh, lineup right now is kind of all uh, very much on the entry level computers. I mean, the M1 computer 
it's a good processor. Don't get me wrong. It's definitely a firmly middle tier um, processor in the, in the, in the grand scheme of things. It works great on single core. It's a little slower on multi-core, but it's still, it's a solid processor. Which is but, what I have right now when I'm, I'm have a, the MacBook air with the M1. Yeah. And the M1 solid, but it is not, they, they're not selling it right now in a form factor fit for power users or professional users where you have enough ports and enough hard drive space to actually do video editing work or, or photo editing work or, or even just like the enthusiast manage your massive photo archive. Um, 256 gigs just isn't going to cut it. <laughs> for, for so I'm really looking forward to the next generation of processors and the next generation hopefully will come I'm actually less concerned about the next generation of processors and more that with the next generation of processors I'm expecting them to release some more kind of professionally oriented um, form factors like a MacBook with four ports um, like we had just a couple of years ago with the um, 2018 MacBook Pros. Yeah. So that's what I was going to ask you actually, because, so I have the M1 MacBook air and I'm really happy with it, but I do a lot of word processing. I'm not doing a lot of like heavy lifting video editing and all of that. So I get the better battery life. I get uh, a lot of the perks of the M1 chip, but I do think that if I was doing heavier tasks, I wouldn't be happy with the fact that, um, it's harder to do on a MacBook Air. And also they only released ones with small displays. Like this is a 13 inch uh, device. And so they're rumored to come out with a 15 or 16 inch MacBook Pro with the M1X chip. And I guess I just wanted to ask you if it just had the M1 chip, would you be still concerned that it wouldn't be able to do what you want, even though it's the Pro line that has fans in it, for instance, the MacBook Air doesn't even have a fan um, so that it can stay cooler while doing heavier tasks? Or like, what is it about the M1X? What are you hoping that they're going to do in terms of processing power that's better than what I have? So most of the, the, the M1 has a solid single core performance, which is most of what most consumers really need. When you get into the prosumer market, professional photographers, even amateur photographers who do a lot of video uh, editing, anybody who's doing any kind of video editing or, or programming or there is just, uh, or gaming in particular, any, any kind of heavier lifting task um, is gonna be multi-core processing, not single core processing. And the M1 lags significantly behind, its comp um, behind the general processor market. It's direct competition, it doesn't lag so much. Like, if you go to a Dell laptop, Intel Iris processor, they're comparable. But when you're getting into um, the really professional environment, you want better multi-core processing numbers than what you're seeing out of the M1. But more than that, I mean, honestly, I don't feel like that's really, if they were to stick the M1 into a bigger laptop with more with more ports, more USB-C ports and a bigger screen, I'd probably buy it. Because to me, those are the biggest limit, limiting factors. The, the device I'm, I'm using right now only has two USB-C ports and that's just not, it just doesn't cut it. <laughs> you, you've got to have, you end up with these desks that are just snakes of USB hubs spreading out from your device and it's, it's no good.
I'm looking at one of those right now. Yeah, uh, and I was relieved to see that the the rumors for this new MacBook Pro say that it will have more ports. So yeah. that's, 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 what that's we're promising. Colin, we've been talking about this for so long. I'm really crossing my fingers for you that this happens so that you can get one. Yeah. <laughs> Um, and I, I mentioned October 26th. That's just because historically Apple has held its second fall event on a Tuesday. And so that leaves October 19th or October 26th. And as this podcast is coming out would be the time they'd be announcing the October 19th event and it hasn't happened yet. So that's why we're guessing October 26th. But if by the time you're listening to this podcast later this week already, they've announced the date uh, that still the rumors that we're talking about hold true. <laughs> um, yeah, I also wanted to mention that, that in October for a new event. So come on, Apple, get on it. <laughs> yes. So I also wanted to mention that the Apple watch starting on the 15th of October is available. The Apple watch series seven and pre-orders started last Friday. Uh, Colin, are you in the market for an Apple watch? I am. Yeah. I'm looking to get myself a new Apple watch. I'm now two generations behind with my five and, um, it's time, time for an upgrade. Yeah, I actually pre-ordered on Friday um, the Series 7. I have a Series 4 at the moment. And so um, I feel like with a lot of the devices or all the devices that Apple came out with at its September event, if someone had last year's device, I wouldn't be recommending to upgrade unless your carrier is basically giving it away for free, which some carriers are. Yeah. But uh, I think if you, if you're a couple years behind or more then there's enough things that have stacked up over the last few years to make it really worth it. And I think that's true with the series seven. I'm excited about the fast charging that you can do with the series seven that really, I think it was just with a that's half a hour idea. of charging, you can get a, a long ways, but alone because it doesn't actually have a longer battery life. It's still the same battery life. I probably wouldn't be like, yeah, upgrade from the series six for that. The, the fast charging is one of the things that attracts me because I like the idea of using it for sleep tracking, which of course it's had for the last couple of generations. My, my, six, my five will do sleep tracking, but I charge it at night. So the alternative would be to like pop it on the charger while I'm getting ready in the morning, like taking a shower and so on, but it won't charge up in that amount of time. But with the seven, I could do the fast charge so I could wear it all night wake up in the morning, pop it on the charger and then put it on when I'm getting dressed and it would be fully charged. Which is game changing. Cause right now it takes like three to four hours to charge your Apple watch. So yeah. it, you're right. If you're wanting to use it as an all around health and fitness tracker, including sleep tracking, that doesn't really work. Like, especially also with the way Apple tracks your movement and stand goals and all right. of that. Like you don't want to be missing out on three to four hours during the day that it's not tracking. And you'd also right. don't want to have to like wake up in the middle of the night and take it off and try, like it just doesn't <laughs> yeah. really work, but that. this pretty much solved that problem. Yeah. 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 But the fast charging solves the problem. Yeah. Yeah. Was there anything else with the series seven that is that you're excited about besides fast charging? I like the series six edition of the blood oxygen monitor. That's that I don't have yet. So upgrading to a seven, will get that for me. And is that mainly because of COVID? I mean, that, that for me, I like the idea of if I'm not feeling well, being able to track my blood oxygen and, you know, I'm just a big nerd about metrics and tracking all the health metrics makes me happy. 
Um, but I'm also excited about the Series 7 screen, uh, that the edge-to-edge -edge display that includes more of the, um, of the surface for better touch control. That looks cool. I'm excited about that. Yeah, they had like they said that you can fit about 50% more text on a display on this screen seven keyboard. display and a full screen keyboard. Like those are things that if I could figure out how to text pretty efficiently for my Apple Watch, that'd probably make me a lot more disconnected from my phone, which I would enjoy if I could handle all of that with my watch. Yep. So we'll report back on that. I should be getting my my Apple Watch in the next couple of weeks. So I'm excited. <laughs> um, all right. So in our news section, we had one more point we wanted to cover. Colin, that was you on the critical security updates. Yeah. So today, or sorry, yesterday, which was Tuesday, the 11th or Monday, the 11th of October, Apple dropped yet another critical security update for iPad and iOS, um, iPad OS and, and iOS. And that would be 15.2, I think they're, they're dropping now. Um, and this is notable in that this is our third critical security update in 30 days. We had one on the 13th of September and another on the 20th of, 20th of September. Now we're having one in early October. This is a slightly um, faster uh, rate of security updates than we're used to, especially with all three of these updates patching uh, exploits that have, Apple has acknowledged that attackers have actually been using. These weren't found by their own researchers or by external researchers. These were updates that someone notified Apple that um, malicious actors were actually using to compromise iPhones. So these, um, this latest one that just dropped yesterday, definitely go out and get it. Um, it's, it's a vulnerability that would allow a malicious app to execute arbitrary code, um, which is which is a which basically just means that it, a, a malicious app. If you were to install an app, um, that app could, in theory, break out of your iPhone sandbox and do things you don't want, like install tracking or or um, or keep keep tabs on your activity or exfiltrate your data. So this bug is pretty serious. Uh, it actually was used, although the, the sort of security buzz that I've been hearing suggests that it hasn't been used so much by criminals, but rather in targeted attacks, suggesting that people who are in particular risk categories like activists and, and um, uh, CEOs and accountants and so on might be at a greater risk, but Bugs like this will make their way down the food chain from the, the targeted attacks and into the general criminal arsenal. Um, and they will start hitting random people too. So this is definitely something that you want to, um, a patch that you want to get and install. It only takes a couple of minutes. Your iPhone may have done it automatically while you were asleep. And, um, if you will take my advice, I would recommend that you that you do set your iPhone to get these security patches while you're asleep at night and update them, and then you don't have to think about it, and you have the best security available. And the way you would do that is under General Settings, uh, under the Settings app, go to General, um, go to Updates, and make sure that you have automatic updates turned on. 
Uh, have you noticed that even in, though you have automatic updates turned on, it doesn't automatically update at night? I've been having that. Yes. And I've had I've some friends that. talk to me about this too. And so I would say, even if you have that turned on, go and check and you might still manually need to do that. And I've, I, for me personally, I think a lot of times it's because of limited storage in the past what, that it hasn't upgraded, but right now I have plenty of space. So I'm just checking right now. I have iOS 15.0.2 available now, like you said, uh, but it didn't automatically update last night, even though I was plugged in and on Wi-Fi. Yeah, me too. Actually, now that you point that out, I'm not sure what that's about. So definitely go have a look at your phone and install that update. Only takes a minute or two. Yeah. Okay, cool. So we have a couple more things to chat with you about before we wrap up this episode. I have my new iPhone 13, as those of you listening who tuned in last time know, because I was excited about it when I first got it then. I've tried out a new case I wanted to tell you about, and Colin also has some apps and gear to chat about. Um, so mine is a, my case is a clear case from Raptic. It's only $19.99. So I wanted to mention this one because a lot of times we talk about some of the higher end cases and accessories on the podcast. And you're really looking at a pretty decent investment on top of what you already spent. Like if you spend 60 to 70 bucks on a case, same with a screen protector, it's starting to add up pretty fast. So um, it is nice sometimes to talk about ones that are like a little less expensive. And this clear case by Raptic has that nice little lip on it so that it, it protrudes further from your display than your actual display. So if you were to drop your phone on its face, you're less likely to crack it. Um, and even though, even with that, I still highly recommend using a screen protector. It's just not worth the risk. And so it's pretty slim and it also shows off the nice back of my phone and you can see the chassis too. I got the starlight color. And so it's kind of nice to be able to see the actual design of your phone. Otherwise, what's the point of even like caring about the color of your phone? You're not even going to ever see it under the case. So I just think it's, it's a nice, I've been pretty happy with it. I think that um, it's uh, a pretty kind of classic plain case, nothing too fancy about it, but it does the job and still lets me see the pretty Apple design. What about you? What are you, what are you testing out right now? Right now, I'm very happy with my Nomad premium leather Apple watch band, all the more because Apple has in their wisdom deigned to not change the form factor of the latest watches. So your Nomad, your premium leather watch band that has been aging and becoming more and more a unique item for yourself will work with the latest Apple watch and you can keep it and just swap the watch to swap out the watch and keep the band. Um, the Nomad, uh, the Nomad active bands are usually about $80 and they're made from premium leather. Yeah. Um, I love Nomad. I, that's the, the Apple Watch band I use right now too. And it actually took me a while to find uh, an Apple Watch band I was a big fan of. Um, it's nice because the the sports bands that Apple gives out, they don't age that well. Like they're fine and look pretty sleek, but I do notice they discolor over time. Whereas Nomad's ones look kind of cooler over time, just like any nice leather item you have. It gets that patina over time. Yep. They age and they become kind of a personal artifact. Definitely. I'm kind of, surp 
I'm kind of surprised just like judging from the way Apple is in the past that they've made all of their watches backwards compatible with watch bands. You can use the same watch bands on any generation Apple watch, which is pretty nice. Even though at one point they actually changed the screen size of your Apple watch, it still works. Yeah. And even if you have Donna, maybe you can check me on this, but even if you have those different sizes of Apple watch and there are different watch bands for the different sizes, but my experience has been that even the bigger watch bands will work okay on the smaller Apple watches. Like they'll still click into place and they'll still pretty much function. It might be a little bit unusual. Are you talking about like, so there are two sizes from the beginning, there's been two sizes of the Apple watch and then they yeah. like sized up at some point. I think that all the watch bands work on the larger of the two and the smaller of the two, but you wouldn't want to put the larger of the two watch band on any of the smaller of the two, or else it'll stick out on either side. It does stick out, but it will click into place. It will click. Yeah. So it technically works, but it's like a little funky. It's a little funky. It's true. I don't mind. A yeah. little <laughs> All right. So this wraps up our 169th episode of the iPhone life podcast, man. We've been doing this for a while. Thank you so much for joining me today, Colin. It's been a lot of fun. My pleasure. And we'll have to have you back on the show soon. And for insiders, please stick around. Colin um, and I are going to be chatting about some complaints and learning that we have to share with you. All right. We'll see you in a couple of weeks, probably for our uh, recording right after the next Apple event, if we're, if we're lucky. Bye everyone. Cheers.